today we're going to talk about the love of God. We've been singing about it all morning. God's love is amazing. God's love defies expectations. God's love defies explanation. And so when we talk about the love of God, we're going to talk a bit about, for one, what it looks like and how that should change us. Last week, Ben Qualls and I were talking a little bit after the service because Ben came up to teach Sunday school, taught a great lesson about uh, working and how you're supposed to work, and then pastor came up afterwards and then preached a message about how you should work. <laughs> and he's like, is this supposed to be, like, how should I take this? I'm like, hey, it happens all the time. I give a Sunday school lesson, and the pastor preaches the same kind of thing. The great part is it's in agreement still, so I don't feel like if he came up and like went against everything I just said, I'd be offended. So if you were in Sunday school this morning, uh, you're actually going to tie in quite a bit with what Benjamin was talking about. Uh, Benjamin did a great lesson through the back half of Ephesians tonight, uh, this morning. So if you weren't here, you can listen to that online later on this week. Um, and it's going to cover in more depth some of what I'm going to be talking about today. It's amazing when God works things out like that, where everything fits together. I actually changed exactly what my sermon was going to be last night. And so when I changed it, apparently God wanted me to teach about the same things that Benjamin was talking about. So there's that too. So the biggest question when it comes to love, first off, is what is love? Well, see, God defines what love is. We have two specific passages we're going to look at in order to define what love is. And the big one that gets used all the time is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So I'm going to go ahead and read through it. You can follow along with me as we go through. This is the Apostle Paul writing. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there shall be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity. These, th these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now the word used here is charity. Charity is love in action. This is love being acted out. And so God, through the Apostle Paul, uh, using the Apostle Paul to pen these words, is telling us what does love look like. Love by itself is not self-serving. Love is supposed to be about the other person. That makes sense to us, right? I mean, that seems common sense. If I love the person, it's supposed to be, oh, it's about them. 
And this is the way love is described to us. You know, it's interesting, if you go through the different things that love is not, those are a lot of the major sins that God lists all the time that mankind is prone to do. And this is God describing what love looks like. 1 John 4, 8 tells us something very simple. It's a matter of fact, it is a short part of the verse. It's the back half of the verse. It's used in, even cubbies learn it in Awana. God is love. Now that's an interesting statement to have. For one, God, by definition, is the example of love. God is the standard of love. And so in a minute, when we start looking at how we see God's love and what God's love is like, understand that our love for each other is supposed to be based off and using God's love as the standard. Another quick thing to clarify, in Scripture, there are different words that are used that we, in English, translate into love. There are different Greek words for love because it goes through certain aspects of it. So agape love, paleo love, these are Greek words that for the most part don't mean anything to us because we don't speak Greek. But let me give you an example. Jeff Miller, everyone look at Jeff in the back sound booth. Jeff loves me. Is that a true statement, Jeff? I'm going to put you on the spot now. Okay, all right. <laughs> Jeff loves me. Isn't that sweet? My wife loves me. Does Jeff love me the same way my wife loves me? No. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff loves me a different way than my wife loves me, which is a different way than my kids love me. Love is shown in different ways because love has different aspects. There's different ways that we love other people. And so through scripture, just because you see the word love does not always mean it's corresponding to the exact same kind of love. And so when we talk about God's love, it is agape love. The term used for it is unconditional. It is truly without condition. There's nothing that we do to earn God's love. So what does God's love look like? Sometimes the PowerPoint works, sometimes it doesn't. First off, God loves us in spite of who we are. In Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, uh, don't turn to that one, uh, turn to Romans chapter 5. Uh, in Hosea chapter 3, we talked about this in Sunday school a few weeks ago, Hosea was a prophet. And God had a special thing that he wanted Hosea to do. And he said, I'm going to give you an example of what Life is like as God. And he told Hosea, go out, go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. He told Hosea to go out and love a woman who is all about the other guys too. A harlot. Someone who isn't going to be faithful. Because this is a picture of what God was experiencing with the nation of Israel. 
He loved them. He had devoted himself to them. And what did the nation of Israel do throughout the Old Testament? They worshipped other idols. They turned to other gods. They turned away from God constantly. And God is telling Hosea, go and love this woman, and this is just going to be an example of what I go through all the time. God still loved the nation of Israel. Despite them turning away from him time and time and time again, God loved them in spite of who they were. Romans chapter 5. Uh, we're going to read actually verses 8 and 10. We're going to skip verse 9 just for speed. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, Christ died for us when we were what? Sinners. We were sinning, so Christ died for us. Well, this makes sense from a common sense perspective, because if we weren't sinners, then Christ doesn't need to die in the first place. Jump down to verse 10. For if, when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of the Son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So according to verse 10, when we were sinners, what else were we to God? Enemies. It wasn't just that us and God didn't get along. It wasn't just that we had done wrong things. We were the enemies of God. And while we were his enemies... Jesus Christ died for us. It wasn't that we, we had a great relationship and everything was hunky-dory and God, Jesus was like, oh, you know what, I'm going to come down and save y'all. We were enemies of God at that time. And he still came. Luke chapter 15. Uh, those verses don't turn there. Uh, the story here is also known as the story of the prodigal son. Prodigal son, uh, man has a couple of sons. The one son says, Dad, give me my inheritance because uh, I want to go and live it up while I'm young. And yes, that sounds a lot like American culture right now. But give me my inheritance. And so he goes off, he wastes all the money, comes back dirt poor, and he's, knowing, he's coming back to his father expecting to live like one of his servants. That's all he's wanting. That's his expectations, which are very clearly outlined. But his father sees him from a far way off and runs to him and embraces him. And he throws a massive party because his son is home. That is the picture of God towards us. Even when we wander away, God loves us. Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was happening this time? Jesus is on the cross, put there unjustly, dying for our sins, and what does he say we should, he wants God to do? Forgive those people. God loves us in spite of who we are, in spite of what we do. It isn't that we are such great people that God loves us. 
God loves us because God chooses to love us. God is love. God, by his very definition, by his character, is love. And so God loves us in spite of who we are. The biggest example of this is the fact that God sent his son to die for us. He came, Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. Scripture tells us that there's no greater love except a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus Christ came and he died for us when we were not friends. As a man, I can understand when it comes to sacrifice, uh, when it comes to the understanding, I understand Jesus coming forth and dying on a cross. I understand it from his perspective. If my death would save everyone in this room from dying, as a man, I feel that's my obligation to do. However, John 3.16 paints a little bit different picture of this love. For who so loved the world? That he sent his only begotten son. I can understand Jesus' perspective. I can't understand God's. Because listen, I would die for a lot of you in here, but I wouldn't send one of my sons to do it. If it comes between them and you, enjoy heaven. Um, <laughs> I, I can't fathom that kind of love that God was willing to give. How many sons did he have at the time? His only begotten son. Now, after this, we have the opportunity to become sons of God. That was a, after this point. So it wasn't that God suddenly had more kids later on. He adopted us later. But God sent his son to die for us. 1 John 4, 9 through 10. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That is love. God sent his son to die for us. Nextly, God's love is powerful. Turn to Romans chapter 8. God's love is powerful. Again, we talked about how it defies expectations, it defies explanation. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we're all, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's summarize. According to this verse, what can separate us from God's love? Nothing. Nothing. 
There is nothing out there. And he even puts in the qualifier, nor things present, nor things to come. So there's not something that will eventually be here that can separate us either. Nothing can separate us from God's love. There are times in our human lives in which our love can be separated from one person to another. That isn't the case when it comes to God. God loves us. God loves each of us individually. God knows about us. God understands us. God understands us and he still loves us. And he always will. Now, this is something else that's very important for us to remember. God's love involves correction. This is a picture of Charlie Huffaker. No. <laughs> God's love involves correction. Proverbs 3.12. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Hebrews 12, 5 through 11. Go ahead and turn there. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5. We're going to read 5 through 11. God loves us, and because God loves us, God wants us to be better people. God wants us to be better than we are. And he's trying to direct us in that way, which involves correcting us. And a lot of times it's to, to keep us safe. So for example, as a parent, if you see your child reaching for the hot pan, what are you going to do? Are you going to just say, ah, they're going to learn in a second. <laughs> you stop them. You correct them. And then you explain to them, why aren't you touching that? Because it's hot. Now, how many of you can remember that one time as a kid when you reached up and you touched that pan or the hot whatever it was, Mine, I actually grabbed a thing of fried chicken that was in the pan. That did not go well. And I haven't done it since. I still can't eat at KFC from all the quarters. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? That seems so true once you have children, and you have a boy. What son is there that doesn't get whooped by his father? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily, for they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, how many of you ever got in trouble as a kid? Okay. When you got in trouble, was there consequences for getting in trouble? Okay. Yeah. When you were getting in trouble, when I was getting spanked for doing things I shouldn't have done, 
Is it when you get your whoopings, do you look at your parents and you're like, oh, thank you, Father? <laughs> you see this kid right here. He's not in a happy mood right now. When correction is happening, it is not a happy occasion. It isn't something that we rejoice over. However, how many of you can look back at that time that you got in trouble and you learned from that experience and so you ended up being a better person down the road because of it? Chastening isn't something that's happy when it happens. However, it is supposed to lead to something. And that is what God is doing. God doesn't just bring punishment to us. God is looking to discipline us or teach us in what we should do and guide us on a path of righteousness. Every time God brings correction, it is with purpose. And it is with love. So, this is just a small portion about what God's love looks like. But what does that mean for us? So what does it look like in our lives? First, very important principle number one. We love him because he first loved us. Looking back in history, who loved first, God or man? God. If you read through the creation story, you see the way that God is lovingly building this world. And he's putting it together. He's getting everything in place. And he's excited about it. It's great. And then he creates mankind. And after that, it is very good. God has designed this. God has already set it up. He gives Adam and Eve one rule. Donate the fruit. So what do Adam and Eve do? They ate the fruit. God then brings chastisement to them. Well, what else does he say is going to come down the road? He said there will be a redeemer. There will be a savior. From the moment it happened, the moment that sin entered the world, God set it up. They had one thing. Don't eat the fruit. Have you ever told your kids, don't do this? You give them one rule, and what do they do? But it goes away when we're adults, right? All right, don't look over there. Oh, see, some of you did. But see, God loved us, and he set that in place. God loved us when we were not lovable. And he continues to love us every time we fail him, as we get the picture of in Hosea. Secondly, loving God is important. Turn over to Matthew 22. Loving God is important. It's so important that Jesus clarifies over here and pretty much takes all those commandments that they had beforehand and he summarizes them. Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, I love that I just throw that in. One of them, he's a lawyer, so you understand, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? 
Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Understand, Jesus, at this point in history, there's a large religious group around called Pharisees. These Pharisees knew scripture. In order to be a Pharisee, you had to memorize the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. To give you a little bit of perspective, Genesis has 50 chapters. So anyone want to take a shot at it? How many of you are going to get past Genesis 1, 2? All right. They had to memorize this. They knew scripture. And one thing they were very good at was following all these little laws. In the end, there were over 600 laws at this point that they were following. There was a limit on how many steps you were allowed to take on the Sabbath day. And after that many, it was considered work. And so a Pharisee, if he was walking, he'd probably have a Fitbit, would be walking, and once he hit that number of steps, which he's counted the entire day, he would sit down wherever he was and not move until the sun went down. Because when the sun went down, Sabbath was over, you could start walking again. Whether it was in the middle of the street, no matter where it was, they would just sit down. They had laws on how they were supposed to wash their hands. They were supposed to wash their hands, and then after they've washed their hands, they were supposed to take the water, dump it out, put it in, and essentially wash their hands again. There's this huge like ritual of washing their hands just for them to eat. This wasn't for some like high holy purpose. They have all these laws, all these commandments. And so this lawyer wants to trick him. What is the greatest one? Which is the one we should all focus on the most? And Jesus said, well, there's two. Love God and love everyone else. You know, it's interesting. If you go through to the Ten Commandments, these are the big ones, the famous ones that we talk about all the time, the Ten Commandments. Every one of the commandments is about either loving God or loving other people. And see, that was what the Pharisees did not understand. They could follow rules just fine, but they did not understand the heart of God that was behind it. They were really good at giving offering. And you know that because they let you know that they were really good at giving offering. They were very loud about it. They were very good at praying because they'd be very outspoken about it. That's why in Scripture, in the New Testament, Jesus talks about, you know, how about we just tone it down a bit with the out loud praying all the time? Because they'd be, oh, Lord, thank you that I'm not like all these sinners over here on the left side of the room, which is this side over for you guys. <laughs> and they would be very boisterous about it because they wanted the praise and the, all that to be on them, for them to get the glory. They didn't understand the heart of love that was supposed to be behind it. Have you thought about how amazing it is that God wants to talk to us? God wants a relationship with us. It's one thing to say God loves you. God does love you. God also actually cares about you. It's not some overarching, well, God loves the world. I'm on the world, so I must therefore be loved. God loves each of us individually and cares about us individually. And he wants us to talk with him. He wants to have conversations. 
He wants to grow that relationship because he loves us. But not only that, the love of God then is supposed to manifest itself by the way we act towards other people. So we're supposed to love God, but we're also supposed to love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, let's talk from a little perspective. How many of you have a neighbor that you, well, I wasn't done yet. Thank you for all, raise your hand. How many of you have a neighbor? Yes, okay. <laughs> How many of you have a neighbor that has done something to annoy you before? All right, put your hands down. How many of you have a neighbor who has that one dog that likes to bark at whatever hour? Mm -hmm. Or that neighbor has that tree that hangs over the side and sheds like you can't imagine. We understand there's times that we see that neighbor talking about a literal next door neighbor and sometimes it's hard to love them. However, in the tale of the Good Samaritan, God elaborates on what the definition of neighbor is. As he talks about the one person that was neighborly to the them is someone that actually lived from a different country. So in other words, according to the story of the Good Samaritan, who is your neighbor? Everyone else. So God wants us to love everyone like we love ourselves. That is not easy to do, is it? Which gets us to our next point. Loving like God is hard. It's not easy. It takes supernatural strength to be able to do this. We started off by reading 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. How many of you can think of at least one time that you've been impatient towards someone you love? All right. How many of you can think of at least one time that you've been unkind towards someone that you love? How many times can you think of any time that you have cared more about yourself in a situation than you do about the person you love? It's hard for us as people, as sinful people, to love up to the standard of God. Again, like I said, in 1 Corinthians 13, you go through these different things that love is not, and those are very popular sins that get listed that God sees amongst his people. Pride, unkindness, impatience. But see, we can look at love from our human perspective, and we can see where we fail. Loving like God is hard. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. I'll read it for you guys. You have heard it that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans do the same? And if you salute brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans do so? But be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. 
So, show of hands, how many of you think it's easier to love someone that is loving towards you? You can raise your hand now. As opposed to loving someone who hates you. It is not easy to love someone who hates you. And so God is laying it out very simply right here. For one, when Jesus is talking, he says, listen, it's easy to love people that you love. Yes, it's kind of a play on words there. It's easy to love certain people. And he says, listen, it's not out of the ordinary to say hi to someone you know and love. However, he said everyone does that. Sinners, pagans, it doesn't matter. People say hi to other people that they like. And he's saying here, we're supposed to do that towards people that hate us. People that are our enemies. Love them. If they curse you, you're supposed to bless them. Is that easy to do? No, it is not. But as we looked at earlier, when we were sinners, what were we to God? His enemies. Imagine if God did not love his enemies. That would be horrible for us. God is our example in this. The fact that God loved and still loves his enemies. There are people out there who adamantly, vehemently, speak against God. That God of the Bible must be this horrible person. God loves those people still. There is no one in creation that God does not love. And see, that's the standard for us. We are supposed to love everyone. Now, don't say it out loud, but how many of you can at least think of one person you don't really love? Yeah, it's... Loving like God is hard. 1 John 4, 20 through 21. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment we have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. We're supposed to have this love. And God is our example in it. And it is not easy to do. Don't think I'm up here like I've got it all figured out on how to do this either. I've got the neighbor with that dog too, so. It isn't easy. But that doesn't change the requirement. God doesn't say, love your enemies unless it's too hard. We're supposed to show love to everyone. As Benjamin mentioned earlier today, um, during Sunday school, when it comes to Christianity, they're supposed to know us by our love. That is supposed to be the descriptive word used for Christians, that they can look at us, and what they should see is love. When you look at modern culture, do you feel like that's how people perceive Christians nowadays? No, it's not. But loving like God is hard. Loving God 
is reflected in our actions and belief. What we do, what we say, how we act, that is supposed to be a reflection of God's love. It's one thing to say, aw, I love people. It's another thing to actually show that you love people. Galatians 5.22 uh, and 23, very famous set of verses. Uh, this is called the fruit of the Spirit. So those of you who know, the fruit of the Spirit is? What's the first one there? The fruit of the Spirit is love. So if someone is living in the Spirit, if they're following after God, if they're developing that relationship with God, the very first thing listed that should be seen is love. Psalm 97.10. Ye that love the Lord, hate evil. He preserveth the souls of his saints. He delivereth them out of the hand of the wicked. So if you love the Lord, what are you supposed to hate? Evil. Does it say evil people? No. And this is that fine line of distinction that gets missed quite often when it comes to Christianity. According to God, who are we supposed to love in the world? Everyone. According to God, what actions are we supposed to love? That's different. Can you think of people that are hard to love? Yes. Are they hard to love because of what they do? Yes. We need to understand that actions and the person are not connected when it comes to loving them. What they do should not affect if we love them or not, or that we ex how we express love towards them. God's love does not have a condition on it. If it did, we'd all be in trouble. How many have fallen short of the glory of God? All. Everyone. If there was a condition of any kind on God's love, we would fail. It doesn't matter what the condition is. Adam and Eve had one condition. You get to have this great garden. You get to have this wonderful paradise. One condition. Don't eat the fruit. What happened? They ate the fruit. So we're supposed to hate evil deeds. We're supposed to speak against evil that happens. But we're still supposed to show love to people. A famous group nowadays um, that represents Christianity, supposedly, in the world, is Westboro. Uh, they're a, I'm not even going to call them a church, they're a group uh, in the Midwest, and they go around and they protest and picket at funerals. Uh, they protest at anything they can, and they speak hatefully. They were most famous during the wars where they would come out and they would picket saying that the reason our soldiers are dying is because that America allows homosexuality. And because God hates them, that is why this is the punishment. And they would do this at people's funerals. Just emanating hatred to people. That isn't supposed to be what Christianity is. God loves the person. For God so loved the world. It's not for God so loved the Christians. For God so loved the nice people. God loves everyone. 
God is not willing that any should perish. God wants everyone to accept him and come to eternal life. And so God is the example here. We are supposed to love everyone, but that doesn't mean we love what they do. John 14, 21. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. So, we just said a minute ago, is it easy to love like God loves? No. In this verse, how is it that we show that we love God? Keeping his commandments. So, since you have come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and became a Christian, have you ever broken one of his commandments? Yes. We do it. We're still sinful creatures. It is not easy to love the way that God does. That is the example. Is God, Jesus Christ. How many commandments did Jesus break? None. He did not sin. And so we have this example. And that is supposed to be us. People are supposed to see us as people following after God and doing what God says to do or not to do. So uh, 1 John 5, 1 through 3 says the same kind of thing. Um, if we love God, we're going to keep his commandments. So if we are showing love to God, the one who loved us first, that is what we should be doing, is keeping his commandments. 1 John 4, 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God. For God is love. Our love is supposed to be our example. It is supposed to be the way that we show God to the world. The fact that we are loving people. It is not easy. It is extremely difficult. And the only way we can do it is through God's power. By relying on him and turning things over to him. But our lives are supposed to be reflective of God's love. People should see us and see the love of God coming from us. When we look at our own lives, is that typically what happens? When you're out in the workforce, at your job, and people describe what kind of a person you are, is the first word they're going to use like, oh, he's so loving. <laughs> when you're at the grocery store, when you're Christmas shopping, and you're in that line, and that bratty kid is in front of you, is the way people describe you where they use the word loving. When that dog starts barking, is that how you, people would describe you? In all situations, we are supposed to exude the love of God. As parents, is that the way your, parent, your kid would describe you? As loving above all else. Husbands and wives, is that how your spouse would describe you above all else? You show the love of God towards them. God is the standard for love. There's a reason that in Scripture, 
when Jesus describes his relationship to the church, it is a bride and groom situation. Because Jesus and the church is the perfect marriage, is what it's supposed to look like. When people see us, they should see the love of God coming forth. And honestly, I fail at it all the time. It isn't easy. It is very hard. But that doesn't change the expectation. God wants us to show love to others. God loves everyone. So much so that as we talked about earlier, he sent his son to die for us. When we were enemies with God, when we were in that position where we did nothing, there was no goodness in us, there was no righteousness in us, God sent his son to die for us. Maybe you haven't accepted Christ as your savior and experienced the fullness of what that love is. Understand that before you become a Christian, God loves you. However, what else did we say comes with love? Chastisement and consequence. There are consequences that still go along with life. Just because God loves us doesn't mean, oh, well, everything is suddenly better. Since you became a Christian or since you were born and God loved you, has something ever gone wrong in your life? But maybe you haven't accepted Christ your Savior. That ultimate gift of love that he gave to us. That even though we were enemies with him, he gives us the opportunity to be family with him for all eternity. If you haven't done that, in the moment we sing this next song, uh, you can come forward. Uh, we've got some deacons and some other ladies up here that will be able, are more than willing to, and happy to talk to you about that some more. Maybe in your own life you look at it and you say, you know what? I am not a loving person. When people look at me, what they think is not love. And maybe that's something you need to deal with personally. Do that today. Uh, so I'm going to call up the song leaders, and we're going to sing our final song, which I don't even remember what it is. So that's Merciful God. Merciful God. So please stand. <laughs>